All right, so we're back again for another cutting room floor. Uh, and this last Sunday we talked about, or I talked about, um, the Passover meal, how that then intersects with the New Testament understanding of the Lord's Supper and communion. And I spent like a second talking about in church history how there mm-hmm. were, there are different opinions that sure. surface and often, right, they lead to division and not devotion. Mm-hmm. On the Lord's Supper. On the Lord's yeah. Supper. Like, actually, it's interesting, right? There's actually these points where, like, uh, and we'll get to this in a minute, where there's actually broad agreement about mm-hmm. a lot of things. For sure. But this one thing becomes particularly yeah. hard for people to agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And kind of looking at this, you, you again, you briefly mentioned throughout church history, there's been more or less four sort of main views yeah. on what exactly is taking place when people take the Lord's Supper, communion, Eucharist, yeah. those those terms are more or less interchangeable. But kind of thought maybe today we kind of work through each of these four views kind of briefly, yeah. kind of talk about, you know, who holds to them, what what they entail, yeah. and then kind of talk about, okay, where is their agreement, where are their differences yeah. in between them? Well, maybe we can start even just with the names. Mm-hmm. So Eucharist, right? That's the Catholic understanding from the Greek word Eucharisto, which yeah. is to give thanks. Give thanks, yeah. And Jesus gives thanks. That's where the Eucharist comes sure. from. Uh, Communion comes from the word koinonia, right? So yeah. this idea of this is how the church is together. Together, yeah. Um, Lord's Supper, it refers to literally his last meal. Last right? meal so those in are the Gospels, the, the yeah. sort of origins there. Uh, what's interesting is actually it isn't until really the 12th century mm-hmm. until you have like an official view. For sure. On, on what's happening. On what's happening. Yeah. Uh, so this guy named Aquinas, uh, really, really solid thinker, writes this, writes this thing called the... Summa Theologica, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of the this magnus opus, this tome, this huge thing. For right? sure. And he talks about how how do we make sense of the bread and wine being uh, the the body and blood of Jesus? Mm-hmm. And he comes up with this idea. It's called transubstantiation. That's sort of the probably a Latin word. Sure. But this idea that like when Jesus says, "This is my body," somehow. The bread, it still looks like bread. It still tastes like bread. It has mm-hmm. the texture of bud, but really it is the, the physical body of Jesus. And yeah. I don't mean like spiritually. And I not mean, symbolically. Not symbolically. This, this like, is literally, the, literally bread, the body of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Even though it tastes like bread, it is the literal mm-hmm. physical body of Jesus. And the same would apply to the, the wine. The wine, right? Yeah. This is his actual blood okay that flowed through his veins and this is the, it still tastes like wine and that's transubstantiation transubstantiation catholic view 12th century 12th century and thomas aquinas being one of the main proponents yeah, yeah. of that yeah, yeah um and so this idea of i mean you kind of even see it in the etymology of the word like trans like transforming yeah substance substantiation so there the you go. substances are transforming correct in that moment of taking Lord's Supper, Eucharist, yep. Communion. Yeah, so there's this phrase that develops around that time called the real presence. Mm-hmm. So it was the real presence of Jesus there. Yeah. Okay? You fast forward a couple hundred years. And this get, is 12th century-ish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fast forward a couple hundred years, you get to the Reformation. You have this guy named Luther. Right? He's a monk. He's a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And he realizes there's some real problems going on, right? Yeah. So the Protestant Reformation, sure. 95 Theses, yeah. right? All these different moving pieces. Now, he takes a lot of his like Catholic views um, shaped by guys like Aquinas, and he comes up with this thing called consubstantiation. Con, okay. Right? So you have trans, and now you have con. And it's the idea of the bread really is bread. The mm-hmm. wine really is wine. But somehow, 
the real presence of Jesus surrounds the bread or surrounds the wine. And this is, again, real physical presence somehow. You can't see it. You can't taste it. But it's there. It's there, but not in the actual elements. And that's, is that the difference? Yeah. Difference so it's between? versus in versus around, right? So trans versus con yeah. or with. Con right? is con with is the with. etymology there. Yep. That makes right? sense. Right. So with or around. And so it's very much a Catholic view on this real presence, real physical presence, but rather than being in, it's around. Mm-hmm. And this is Luther. So this is more or less. One of those key differences between perhaps a Lutheran view and a Catholic view, correct? On even today, yeah. As far as what's happening in totally. communion, yeah. And then there's a third one, yeah. So then uh, around the time of Luther, there's this guy named Zwingli, mm-hmm. uh, who's in. Is he in Zurich? I think in Zurich, yeah. Yeah, so he's in Zurich, and <clears throat> so 16th century still, and he, contemporary to Luther. Contemporary, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they have some debates and all these things, and they have this difference. So. Luther and Catholics tend to focus on the phrase, this is my body. Yeah, which is where does Jesus say yeah, this in the gospel? Literally, yeah. and he doesn't say, you know, this is my body. That's sort of their focus. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to figure out how is it his body. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to Zwingli, he focuses on do this in remembrance of me. So mm-hmm. it's called the memorial view. Because what you're doing is you're memorializing Jesus, right? You're yeah. doing these things to remember him. And he says, guys, you're focusing on this wrong. It's really just... A symbolic act. Yeah. It's just, it's bread, it's wine, and we're just doing this to remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, yeah. Okay, so then it's it's really rooted in this act of, as followers of Jesus, our job in taking the bread and the cup, or one of the, the benefits, for lack of a better term, of taking the bread and cup is to remember Jesus' sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily in this memorial view about, I'm literally eating the body of Christ, or literally drinking Correct. the blood of Christ, whether that's in or in or around yeah. those particular objects. Yeah. That's interesting, because that, as I think about that, even as I was kind of doing a little bit of research you know, for this, interesting how Zwingli and Luther, you know, they're contemporaries like we mentioned, and this was, to my knowledge, one of the one of, of the only sort of major disagreements that totally. these two they had. Agree they agree almost universally. On a ton of stuff. Yeah, they say do some debates. You were telling me yeah. earlier about so a debate. In 1529, something called the Marburg Colloquy, something where these two theologians and kind of those in their sort of camps came together to kind of hash out some of what they thought of as their differences theologically mm-hmm. as they're in the middle of this Protestant Reformation. Yeah. And literally the only thing that they really can't agree on is the nature of the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And one thing that was really interesting to me as I was kind of reading about this is that Zwingli, as he's thinking about Luther and the disagreements that they have, seems to have been very civil and cordial and very honoring. Both of them, it seems like, were to each other. And Zwingli was quoted as saying, after this event was over in 1529, there are no people on earth with whom I'd rather be with than one of the Wittenbergers, referring to both Martin Luther and then Luther's associate, a guy named Mel- Melanchthon. Yeah. Um, and But what was interesting, though, is that it would not be unity on this point between what was what we now consider the, Lu- the Lutherans and Zwingli, who had kind of fallen to the more reformed yeah. sort of camp. Um, I just think that's interesting. Yeah. How so they were very collegial. Exactly. Even though they disagreed. Yeah, for and sure. And they actually agreed pretty much by like 99% sure. of their theology for was sure. totally aligned. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I just think that as, as something that has been so divisive throughout church history, some of the, the big, for lack of a better term, head honchos of yeah. these different views seem to have tried to work that out totally. in a cordial way, even though they might've had differences, yeah. you know, here and there, but there's also though one more view. Yeah. And so the next generation. Yeah. After Luther. After Luther and Zwingli, there's this guy named Calvin. Mm-hmm. John Calvin, he becomes this very famous theologian. Um, 
He's in Geneva, mm-hmm. right? Geneva, yeah. And um, basically, he he sort of strikes this what I find a a good balance mm-hmm. uh, between sort of where Zwingli's coming from and where Luther and even Aquinas are coming from, where he says basically like, hey, the bread is bread. Mm-hmm. The wine is wine. For sure. Uh, and so in that way, he's really sort of aligning himself with Zwingli, mm-hmm. saying, guys, like, let's not come up with all these sophisticated philosophical ways of understanding how something changes. For sure. But he also says, but the real presence of Jesus is there by the Holy Spirit, right? The resurrected and risen Jesus is present. Yeah. So now he's sort of like honoring and sort of, I don't know, I think there, because there is a part of of the the scriptures that point to, so, you know, Jesus says, this is my body, yeah. right? There is this sense of he is there. He is there for right? sure. It's not just remembrance. He is there. This is my body. And in John 6, he talks about like eating my flesh, Yeah. right? There is this like, Almost like uh, it's very weird and shocking. Yeah, it's almost cannibalistic. John, exactly. Right? Yeah, uh, and, and, and they leave. think that in and people John leave. 6. Yeah, uh, they're just like, "What, what is, is going, going on?" on? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and but I think Calvin sort of captures this balance of it's bread and wine. We don't need to do these sort of really sophisticated, um, like logical arguments. And Jesus can be really there. Mm-hmm in the experience of communion, through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, he's really there. For sure. We're not just remembering. He is really there. So this is the generation after, right? So you have Aquinas, 12th century, transubstantiation, 16th century of Luther, mm-hmm. uh, consubstantiation, then you have Zwingli about the same time, same time, and then Luther, or in Calvin is the next generation, and he has what just tends to become called the Reformed view. Reformed view. Um, that has this sort of balance. For sure. Yeah, and so what it, it seems like Calvin is almost taking, correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the best of both worlds. That's my frame. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. if, I guess if you're very sympathetic <laughs> my, to it. Yeah. Might reveal An advocate my bias. For it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's interesting too is I was you know, kind of reading about this a little bit is that, you know, again, so you have the Zwingli camp kind of still, you know, on the coming through as far as Calvin's going. Yeah. And Calvin's having these sort of conversations or debates, however you want to phrase it. But again, Calvin and Zwingli's uh, successors and the people who kind of hold yeah. that view, they're talking about this, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years later after Luther and Zwingli have since passed. Yeah. And what's interesting is that from what we can tell is that, again, these conversations and debates, yes, they had their differences, but I think it's actually helpful to see this in church history is that, sure, there's been a ton of, you know, awful things that have happened in church history, yeah. but at least on some of these points regarding the Lord's Supper, which eventually has continued to be somewhat divisive. Yeah. Again, like the language I use is like these head honchos, more or less, seem to have done their best to sort this out as best they could in yeah. a civil, cordial, respectful way. Well, and I think, you know, especially if you're in the evangelical tradition mm-hmm. in the United States in the 21st century, yeah. there's actually often a real downplaying of community. Yeah. And so I do think like there is this helpful reminder of like, actually, this was really important mm-hmm. for hundreds and hundreds for of sure. years. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's like a, just a helpful, maybe like pivot for us cognitively yeah. to say, oh, actually maybe our downplaying of this, like why would people fight about it is actually revealing of like, actually we don't take it seriously. Exactly. Enough. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Cause I think, you know, for, for most of church history, it seems like for uh, maybe not most, but for a good portion of church history, the, the Eucharist, the Lord's supper communion 
whether that was a full-blown meal, perhaps even yeah. in the first and second centuries, totally. and the importance of some of these debates happening in the medieval and Reformation yeah. period reveals that, yeah, there's something to this. Yeah. And I even sometimes, you know, as I was reading about this, scratching my head, like, why are we having all these different views and debating sort of this? And like, oh, like you were mentioning that, like, you know, in the more evangelical sort of world, you know, not that it's bad, but like the sermon and worship, those kind of get more center stage, mm-hmm. if you will, totally. in our gatherings. And the communion is often, you know, put to the side. But, you know, we're trying to, as best we can, incorporate yeah. that into, we you are. know, what we're doing here at Wellspring. Yeah, we're trying to find that balance. I, I appreciated uh, something you said before we started this podcast um, today about uh, Gary Brashears and his yeah. frame at Western for, like, how to have some of these conversations. For sure, yeah. Um, was it four Ds? I There's four remember. Ds, yeah. And so he's a professor up at Western, and he he has this frame kind of as we're kind of thinking about issues theologically that yeah. often get debated and people kind of get heated out yeah. about sometimes. A way to kind of helpfully work through, okay, how then do we have these conversations yeah. as Christians? Yeah. So is every debate on the Scriptures, like, a level 10? Yeah. Or are there like, is <laughs> there a continuum? Exactly. It, yeah. yeah. So he has four D's and what he classifies as the first one being there's things that we die for. And what he means by this is that there are doctrines, teachings in scripture yeah. that this is what it means to be a Christian. The Lordship and, of Jesus. Exactly. Right. The yeah. centrality of Jesus. If we don't hold the, the things like that, then that would more or less mean you're not a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then on a kind of a second level below that, are things that he would say, the second one being things that we would divide for. And what he means by that is that not that, say, if we have differences on a particular theological issue in this category, that you're no longer a Christian, like you are or you're not, but just kind of on a practical level, trying to do local church ministry together would be more or less difficult or hard. So, I mean, historically, a lot of things around like baptism, Mm. like pedo-baptism, infant baptism, that has often been one of those sort of practical, like, no one's ever saying the other one is not a Christian, yeah. but oftentimes in local churches, those are more or less separate. Not all yeah. the time, yeah. but historically, they can, uh, they be, can things be that people divide over. Divide We're over. Not saying and, we and should. divide, exactly. Like, it's what you're saying is this is not something you say to someone you're not a Christian. Exactly. But you say, I think we have enough disagreement here. There's a question of maybe there's a better community. For sure. Where you. Yeah would have more alignment and that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not saying on the baptism example, that, that should be something that yeah. local but churches it's divide an over. an example of what has happened, what's happened in, in church history. Yeah. Exactly. So then the third level would be things that he calls the third D debate for. And what he's talking about here is that we would have cordial, hopefully respectful, yeah. hopefully discussion and debate about certain topics in scripture, whether yeah. that be your view on the, the early chapters of Genesis or how the book of Revelation is played out or yeah. often two examples there. But those, these definitely should not be things that Christians divide over. That hopefully yeah. in a local church, there's people that kind of work, out. work work them out together, yeah. and maybe not even necessarily come to a consensus. Yeah. You know, as a, as a local church, but have space to push back and you know yeah. learn together That's in good. that process. Well, and I would imagine there's some like f- some like fuzziness between For those sure. two. Yeah, yeah. And like depending on the person, some people mm-hmm. might divide more quickly or go to a different church. Exactly. Some people might be willing to sort of tolerate the ambiguity a little longer. For sure. But those ones feel like, oh, they could bleed into each exactly. other. Exactly. Yeah, these two middle ones, two and three, definitely are things, you know, that we would not, we would hopefully, I just personally, like, not want to, we would, dividing over something would be, you know, we would want to make sure we've run all the courses, yeah. if you will, you know, done our due diligence, if yeah. you will, and really try to make things, okay, what is really the, the die for things yeah. and hold to, hold to those? We talk yeah. about center set here at Wellspring all the time, yeah. and that's what we're about. Yeah, um, yeah but, so let's keep 
level one importance things, level one. Exactly. And then we can sort of work out down the ladder, like down the ladder, what, for sure. what really falls in the other categories. Exactly. Right. So we have die for number one, divide for number two, debate for number three. And then the fourth level down is what Brashears calls things that we decide for. And his way of using that language is basically these things, not that he's saying that they're not important, but they're almost to this point where we're not going to even really maybe even spend a ton of time necessarily talking about them. Yeah. Like the one example that I've heard him use in class is like for those people that may hold to a view of the rapture, like what happens to my clothes, mm -hmm. you know? during the rapture, like yeah. really small details like that, yeah. where, you know, you can dream and think all you want, but yeah. it really is it, one of the qualifiers that he talks about is that it's not really going to affect practical on the ground ministry mm. in a local church. So sure. We might have a conversation here or yeah. there, but it's probably not wise to even spend a ton of time yeah. on some of these little Why things. allocate a lot of resource exactly. to something if it doesn't have a lot of on the ground discipleship consequences. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, read a book, <laughs> chat with your buddy at, the coffee shop sure. or whatever, but yeah, totally. that makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, this, you know, it's a helpful taxonomy, not just for, you know, things like the different views of communion, yeah. but I think just, you know, generally as a church, you know, thinking yeah. about different things that come up throughout discipleship, theology, Bible, all that sort of stuff. And really hoping that, you know, you know, as Wellspring, that yeah. we're a church that keeps the main thing, the main thing, yeah. and then creates, you know, nuanced, thoughtful, safe spaces where people can dialogue yeah. and learn together along the way. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I would say for us, we try and major yeah. on the most important for sure. Um, I would say, you know, as a local church, it's a, we try and like, I guess one of the trickinesses of that is like, there's so many churches mm -hmm. that rarely does someone like, do you have like, at least I, my hope is, I guess that we, we are not going to have a lot of like divide for kind of conversations. For sure. It's like, people sort of opt out like, yeah. yeah, there's a church down the road I can go to. And for it's like, sure. we want to create space for like, that's okay. Sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, you're still a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you go to a different church, exactly. hundred percent. Uh, yeah. And there's like an open handedness there. Uh, but we do want to create some space for some trickier conversations, yeah. right? Like you've done some classes on sexuality. Mm -hmm. We've done classes on race. We've yeah. done some stuff that was like, all right, this is going to be uncomfortable on yeah. and on hell. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just stuff that feels like, all right, these are, these are important for sure. And yeah. we, we need to talk about them. Yeah. And I think just even recognizing that even I think about even this conversation around communion that Zwingli, Luther, Calvin, Aquinas, these are brilliant thinkers, yeah. right? None of really them are like smart dumb exactly. or unfaithful. For sure. Totally. Yeah. And I think the same thing applies for a lot of our, our modern yeah. conversations that we're having that again, these are not people generally speaking that are like not really taking the Bible seriously or, you know, not educated or not like putting in the work they yeah. are. We can have our disagreements, but I think just honoring others that we disagree with yeah. in a, as best we can, especially in our cultural moment, that's so divisive. Yeah. Um, I think the church has a beautiful opportunity to, to show something there, yeah, that's good. you know, what, how to represent Christ in those yeah. moments. So thanks man. It's good. Cool.